Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thanks, Sandra. Uh, Normally now I would tell you, please keep your Bibles open to that passage uh, because we're going to work our way through it. I'm not going to tell you that today. Um, because that's not what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to refer to that passage, uh, but lots of other ones as well. So instead what I'm going to tell you to do is take out a pen uh, and grab the outline that you got at the door. If you haven't got one, there's probably still some there. And you can write down some of the references that we're going to be working our way through because there will be several and you probably won't be able to keep up as I read them out. Now our question today, should we try to change the world? A few people asked questions like this one. Uh, Not exactly this one, so I've kind of amalgamated them all together. Uh, Thank you to those people for giving me a very difficult week. Uh, This is a hard question. It's a very big question. Uh, I don't don't want to keep you here all day, um, and I don't think you would want to be kept here all day answering it. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of do a a (laughs) drive-by, really. We're, We're just going to scratch the surface. We can't dig in nearly as much as we possibly could, If you would like to dig further, come by my office later and I've got a stack of books, almost as tall as me, and you can take your pick uh, and read some more, if you like. Just a pre-warning, we're not going to answer every part of this question, but we will try and do as much as we can. Uh, A few years ago when we left Christchurch, uh, I'd had a gym membership there. As you can see, it's it's lasted me well. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I had to break that gym membership. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but there's a stereotype around breaking gym memberships and the stereotype is that it's very hard. The stereotype is right, (laughs) at least in my experience. Because when I went there to break that membership, despite the fact that I was leaving the country, the pressure was put on me. There were endless forms to fill out. There was a warning that, okay, you could break it, but you still have to pay another six weeks of your membership. Uh, And two very young and healthy and very fit Uh, gym attendants came to supervise me as I filled out those forms and discouraged me. (laughs) 
Is your health still important to you, Julian? Well, yes, of course. Don't you care about your fitness? Well, yeah, that's not why I'm breaking my membership. And so on. Uh, for as long as it took me to fill out those forms, questions that you just cannot say no to. Because, of course, they, they don't want you to break your membership. They're like the, the, the worker for a charity that we, we meet in the street, shaking their bucket. Do you care for the poor children, sir? Yes. <laughs> or the telemarketer trying to sell you life insurance. Sir, do you, do you love your family? Do you want to care for your family? Well, yes. <laughs> or the stand at the mall. Do you really care about our planet? And so it continues, doesn't it? All these questions that we just cannot say no to. You know, there's only one right answer. The answer is yes. You have to say yes. And it's a bit like that with our question today, isn't it? Should we try to change the world? Yes, of course. Who's going to say no to that? Uh, do, Do we think our world is perfect? Do we think our world can't be improved on? Of course not. The obvious answer is yes. Yes, we should try to change the world. And in some ways it's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Because we are changing our world. Okay, maybe not deliberately, maybe just incidentally, but everything that we do has an effect on the world around us. It has consequences. It has impact. Really the question that we're answering today is, how should we try to change the world? (laughs) How should we try to change the world? What, What sort of influence should we, as Jesus' people, have on this world? Is our work just about taking the gospel or is it about getting involved in politics? Is it about pursuing justice in all sorts of areas? What do we do? What's our work? It's a harder question, isn't it? (laughs) But as I said, we're going to try and tackle it today. We're going to try and get some principles to help us think this through. How should we try to change the world. I guess in a way we've got to kind of wind back a little bit first, don't we? Uh, And ask ourselves the question, well, why change the world? (laughs) Why change the world? And our difficulty here is that we live in a world, we live in a society which implicitly and sometimes explicitly tells us that we're not to change the world. (laughs) We're Christians. We we shouldn't have an influence. Uh, We don't have a right to tell people how to live. And we see it when we debate moral issues, don't we, in our society. Who are you to tell me how I should live? Why should what you believe change what I think or what I do? And the implication we get is that religion is a private thing. It lives over here and it has no place in public debate or public decision-making. Sometimes that's only implied. Sometimes we're actually told that outright. Don't bring your religion into my debate. (laughs) Well, there's a couple of problems with that. The first is that everyone does it, actually, whether they know it or not. See, everyone in this world has a system of belief. Everyone has what we would call a worldview, a way of looking at and understanding the world. And they always bring it into decision-making. There's no way to do it otherwise. For some, they bring out their understanding of atheism. For others, materialism. For us, it's Christianity. That's how we look at the world. That's how we understand the world. And we cannot help but bring that into debate and into decision-making. Actually, none of us are neutral. (laughs) All of us have a worldview which influences how we think. That's the first problem. 
The second is that those objections actually miss what Christianity is all about. Now just ask yourself for a moment, uh, stop and think, why did Jesus come? Or maybe a bit more specifically, what did Jesus come to do? Just think that through in your mind for a moment and listen to this. This is from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus' first words recorded in Mark. And this is what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. That might not be what you had in your mind, is it? And it's, I'm guessing, a lot bigger. That's a huge announcement, isn't it? We often think, when we think, well, what's religion about? What's Jesus all about? We think personal, don't we? Jesus died to save me or Jesus died to save sinners if we're expanding our thought a little bit more. But what Jesus is announcing here is something far bigger than that, isn't it? (laughs) He's announcing that he's come to bring a kingdom. His kingdom. He's come to this world to announce that he is the king. That his dominion, his rule is entering this world in a tangible and visible way. He's bringing a kingdom, a place where, where everything that's apart from him and everything that's rebelled against him is being brought back to him and brought under his rule, his good, life-giving rule. See, what Jesus is announcing there and what he unpacks in his uh, public ministry is that the Garden of Eden, the, the, the state that existed then, humanity and the world living harmoniously and perfectly under the rule of God, he's coming to say that can be had again it's coming again. He's saying that the rebellion of humanity, you know, God's rulers of the world, the, the curse that fell to all creation through them, it's going to be fixed. That, that, that's his message, isn't it? Restoration is here. The king has come, his kingdom to bring a place of reconciliation and restoration and renewal and gathering all things under his authority again. That's why when Jesus announced his kingdom, he called humanity to repentance. Because he's saying, don't go on in your destructive, rebellious ways. Turn around. Turn around and come back and submit again to God's perfect rule. That's why he showed the reality of his kingdom. He showed what restoration and renewal looks like by healing hurts, by fixing wrongs, by raising the dead, by feeding the hungry. Jesus came to witness to the kingdom. And God sent him, as we we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 a few months ago, in Ephesians 1 verse 10, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. We sing of it every Christmas uh, when we remember his coming to earth, don't we? (laughs) We we sing of what he came to do, those, those words... No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the earth. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world indeed. That's what Jesus has come to do. The king is here. His kingdom to come. The kingdom that is open to you. Because the king died to remove the offences of rebels. And the king lives to see his rule extended to even now bring the world under him. 
I, I guess it's a bit like when you come home from a long holiday. <laughs> uh, you know what you do before, before you go on a holiday? You, you make sure everything's in order, don't you? You make sure your house is tidy, you make sure the garden's neat, everything's as it ought to be, or, or roughly anyway. I'm talking ideally, this is... OK. <laughs> but what happens when you get back? What happens when you return from your months away? It's chaos, isn't it? Everything is a mess. The grass is long, the plants are wild, uh, the, the weeds are tall. It's a disaster. What do you do? <laughs> well, you come and you reassert your rule, don't you? You, you mow, you prune, you weed. You, you gradually gather the garden back under your control. You return it to its design and purpose, all the things that you had in store for it. You make it beautiful again. You, you take away what's hindering it so it can flourish and be good. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. That's what his coming was for, to, to bring his kingdom, to reassert his rule and to restore it. And that's, become, that's begun in his coming to earth. Tim Keller says, The kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. See, Jesus' coming was not just to bring to earth a, a private religion. <laughs> His coming was for the transformation of the whole world. He came not just for hearts, he came for the whole of creation, for all things. And when we see that, we, we see why we, we can't just sit back <laughs> and let the world trundle on uh, as it always has. Neither can we just gather together and bunker down until he comes back. That's not the type of kingdom that Jesus came for. He came for the world, the world around us. But he also didn't come just to Christianise things, did he? Uh, Jesus' goal was not just to, to Christianise Australia, whatever that means or whatever that would look like. No, his goal was for a kingdom. I mean, a Christian in Australia, it, it sounds good in theory, but actually it's quite petty, isn't it? <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, God is working to something far bigger. Not just one nation, but a kingdom that fills the entire world, that's far better, that is forever. In his trial before Pilate, Jesus said this in John 18:36, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. But because of his coming, it is in this world. It is in this world. It is here. To change it, to restore it, to make it better by bringing it into submission to him, the king, the rightful king. That's a big work, isn't it? That's a big goal. Too big for us, surely. I mean, we're, we're normal people. I, I know most of you pretty well. We're pretty normal. <laughs> One or two exceptions. We're pretty normal. <laughs> we're average people. We live... Well, we, we've got a small church here. We live in, let's be honest, an insignificant town in the smallest state of a not very big and important country. Surely it's not for us. Surely we need special people, more gifted people, important people, influential people. <laughs> to see this work done. Surely that's who we need. 
Well, yes and, and, and no. Here's what Ephesians 2 verse 19 says. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Fellow citizens. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, a writer from the state, says this. Conversion makes us citizens of Christ's kingdom, places us inside embassies of that kingdom and puts us to work as ambassadors of heaven's righteousness and justice. See, all of us here, I mean, I know some of you are dual citizens already, but all of us are actually dual citizens. (laughs) We are at least citizens of Australia and we are also citizens of heaven. We're dual citizens. We, We represent Jesus' kingdom here on this earth. And not just as citizens, we represent his kingdom as ambassadors. Uh, when he left, he set us work to do. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, we, we, some of us looked at it yesterday with Cole. He set us that work to go into this world as kingdom representatives in order to see people become kingdom people, in order to teach them kingdom life. See, through us, the kingdom, God's work in this world, is seen and proclaimed. Again, it's what we saw in Ephesians, Ephesians 3 verse 10. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul uh, is writing of his own ministry, but he's writing of the ministry of believers. He says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. You are an agent, you are an ambassador of Jesus' kingdom. We, this church, we are an embassy of that kingdom. That's a a really helpful picture, isn't it? (laughs) That that gives us a lot of insight into what this is all about. It it tells us where we're to do that work. Where is that? It's right here. It's right where you are. And remember what we started. We started with those verses reminding us God is in control of this world. God is over all things. And that means our lives too. God's put us where we are. Where you are in this point in time is a result of his guidance, his control over all things. You are here by his will. You are here because he purposed it. And therefore you are here to represent his kingdom here. Uh, the story goes that a man uh, once approached Martin Luther uh, very excitedly and he, he said to Martin Luther, I've just become a Christian. Uh, he, was, he was totally captured by that and he said, I'm eager to serve the Lord. What should I do now? He asked Luther, you know, implying that there was something big, some radical change to be had in his life. And Luther asked him, well, what's your work now? And the man said, well, I'm a shoemaker. Well, Luther replied, much to his surprise, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. It's good, isn't it? It's so ordinary but so wonderful. It captures something so important. We are kingdom citizens here, where you are, where God has placed you. Now, it's true. Some are called to special work, at special times, in special places, and maybe... That's what God has in store for some of you. Maybe. But whether he does or not, all of us now and here are called to be kingdom ambassadors. This this is not 
just an ordinary place that you now exist waiting for you know, your special, your rightful work. This is where you are to be a kingdom ambassador. Here. Now. Uh, pastor in the States, Trevon Wax, said, we ought to be not sink Christians, but tap Christians. <laughs> uh, a sink Christian is someone who uh, sees salvation as you know, something to, to soak up, to gather in and to, 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 to be filled by its benefits and its goodness. But a tap Christian is someone whom salvation comes to in order that it will flow out through them to the rest of the world as a blessing. That is who we are. That is who you are. A tap Christian. Uh, that's, that's what Jesus made clear in the, that parable of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? We are people to bring blessings to those around us, to our neighbours. That is the one before us and near us. That's how we love our neighbour, as part of our loving God. Our church is a kingdom embassy and you are a kingdom ambassador. Doesn't that change how we look at the world? You don't just live on your street. You are God's kingdom ambassador on your street. You're not just part of your workplace. You are God's kingdom ambassador in your workplace. You're not just a member of your bowls club or your footy uh, club or your, your school. You are a kingdom ambassador in that place. And so it is everywhere you go. Our, our church isn't just here on John Street because a block of land was available back whenever. We're here because God's put us as an embassy of his kingdom in this street, in this town. You know, we're not here to you know, sit around and, and wait for some big work that God's got in store for us. Uh, neither are we to dish the work out to those who are in more important places. We're simply here to do the work. Now, in this place however ordinary we feel. Have you ever heard the, the saying, for want of a nail? Is that, that familiar? For want of a nail, that proverb? Here's the full version. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of of a horseshoe nail. Yes, we are ordinary. I'm ordinary. We're normal. We're nails. But we have a big part to play. And yes, it might feel like our kingdom influence is small. It might feel like our work is unseen by most of the world. But it's not. Because kingdom work lasts forever. What more significant thing is there than to do something that will last for eternity? Uh, theologian Nancy Piercy says this, The most effective work in cultural change is done by ordinary Christians fulfilling God's calling to reform culture within their local spheres of influence. Matthew 5, uh, 13 and 14 says this, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are ambassadors of Jesus' kingdom, his kingdom of restoration and renewal 
and reconciliation here and now. But how? How do we do that work? What what does it look like to be kingdom ambassadors in this world? Well, Jesus showed us again in his trial before Pilate, John 18, verse 37. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. See, here I think is where the picture of an ambassador really helps us. Uh, If you go to Canberra, if you drive down Embassy Road, you'll see lined up there all the embassies and you'll see each testifies to their home nation. You know, you don't even have to look at the sign. You get a pretty clear picture of which is which. They fly the flag, they show the architecture, they, they all point to home. And so too does the ambassador, doesn't he? Or she. The, the, the ambassador speaks of their home country. They, they witness to their home country. They declare the interests of their home country. And so to our role here. We're here to testify to the truth of our home nation, the kingdom of Jesus. We're here to demonstrate it, to articulate it. We speak the fundamental truth of our nation, the, the gospel, and we live the fundamental truth of our nation. Again, the gospel. That, that, that's our work as ambassadors. Now that means we, we need to engage the culture around us. We can't you know, hunker down and, and just wait for things to blow over. We need to be in this world. We are sent to this world. But not sent to, to win fights in the name of our king. We're sent to reconcile people to him by his grace. See, our chief desire in this world is to see people know him and come under his rule. That's what we're all about. See, our goal in this world is not to impose Christian morality on it. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12, Paul's talking about sexual morality and he says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Uh, Jonathan Lehman again says this, Imposing the Christian faith creates hypocrites at best and makes people despise Christianity at worst. Uh, We have a new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Some of you will be aware he's a Christian, which is fantastic. It's great. He's in a position of great influence. But he cannot make our nation Christian, can he? (laughs) He can't make every citizen instantly a Christian. It doesn't work like that. He can't even make every person live like a Christian. And he shouldn't try. Trying to make others Christians, trying to make them live as Christians is unhelpful, it's destructive. You know, ambassadors don't come to a nation and say, well, this is how we do it in my land, you have to do it as well. (laughs) They don't have that sort of power. It doesn't work like that. Instead of telling our neighbour how they must live, we bear witness to our kingdom. We show it, we speak of it. We tell them the why, we tell them the gospel. We show them how, we tell them the wisdom of the Christian life. We, we speak of the hope that we have and how it works out. But we cannot expect them to want to live like that without Jesus first winning their hearts. Without them first coming under his rule and being reconciled to him. Then we can point them to the life that they must live.
Living out the kingdom in our world doesn't mean we have to relinquish all say. I mean, our world would love it if we did that. (laughs) But it doesn't mean we must. We do have a responsibility to, to stand for what's right to stand against immoral, unjust laws. That's, that's part of loving our neighbour. We have the opportunity in our, in our nation, the freedom to do that. Therefore, we have the responsibility to as well. We, we live in a free country. We have opportunity to influence our land. And so, therefore, the responsibility, not to coerce our nation, but to persuade and to talk winsomely and well. See, living in the kingdom, living for the kingdom means engaging well with those around us, even when they don't do that for us. We're to be kind and gentle, honouring of those around us. Uh, Russell Moore says, We see, therefore, even our most passionate critic, not as an argument to be vaporised, but as a neighbour to be (laughs) evangelised. See, even under fire, God's grace ought to be seen in us, because that's what the Christian life is the kingdom life looks like. So that those around us can see it clearly in us. Not just in what we say, but in how we say it too. Living the kingdom life means valuing people according to the measure of the kingdom. means not favouring the strong and the influential uh, as our world would have us do, but showing grace instead to the weak and to the downtrodden around us. Now that means understanding, it means remembering who we are. Paul Paul tells us so clearly in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. That's who we were. You know, we're not here because we're we're the good in society, we're the powerful, we're the influential. We're here because God called us. We need to understand that, we need to show it. James tells us that in chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. See, the weak and the hurting, the rejected by society, the downtrodden, they are precious in God's sight and thus ought to be in ours as well. The unemployed, the homeless the intellectually disabled, the single mothers, the widows, the refugees and so many others, we need to see them with kingdom eyes. I think Russell Moore puts it so well. It says the child with Down syndrome on the fifth row from the back in your church, he's not a ministry project, he's a future king of the universe. The immigrant woman who scrubs toilets every day on hands and knees and can barely speak enough English to sing along with your praise choruses, she's not a problem to be solved. She's a future queen of the cosmos, a joint heir with Christ. See, isn't that how we're to see people? Not not through the world's eyes, but through the kingdom's eyes. To see their value and their importance and their worth and their eternal destiny if they come under Christ's rule. So let us show the beauty and the goodness of the kingdom and of our king in the way we treat the weak and the needy around us. We are citizens and ambassadors who show the kingdom in our life and in our witness. But we're also to be realists in that work. We live in a tension now. 
We call that tension between the now and the not yet. The kingdom's here. Jesus brought it. Even now it is growing throughout this world. But it is not yet here in its fullness. We only have to look at our world, don't we? Sin abounds. Brokenness continues. Uh, the, The curse mars everything. And we will fight against that. We will continually fight against that. Uh, in Greek mythology, there's the story of Sisyphus. Uh, Sisyphus was cursed by the gods to spend an eternity in futility. Uh, you, you may have seen pictures of him. Sisyphus had to roll a boulder to the top of a hill, but every time he got to the top, he would roll back down the other side and he had to start again. An eternity in futility. And sometimes kingdom work feels a bit like that, doesn't it? We make progress in one area and we fall back in another. We win one battle and another one rears its head. But it doesn't mean it's futile. Because everywhere we serve the king, the king is honoured and glorified. And every person who comes to the king is a victory that lasts for eternity. is a precious citizen of the kingdom forever. Every influence counts. But the work will go on until our king returns. We've only scratched the surface. But that's the work, isn't it? To strive for the kingdom as its ambassadors. And as we do so, to remember the big picture. We can work for the kingdom because the king has won. The kingdom overcomes. The kingdom wins in the end. We don't fight despairingly uh, with, as if the conclusion was in doubt. Uh, if we lose a battle here, we're not despondent. We simply look up. Because Jesus has won. And Jesus is coming back. And when he does, all that's wrong will be fixed forever. All that's hurting will be healed once and for all. And so we strive with that in mind, with hope. Jonathan Lehman writes this, On the last day God will not ask you, did you produce change? But did you faithfully pursue change in those places where I gave you opportunity and authority? That's our calling as kingdom ambassadors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the world around us through kingdom eyes. Help us to see Christ our King and know that you are bringing all things under his rule. Help us to see ourselves as ambassadors and know that you are using us to declare and announce and bring things to him. Help us to see that this work is done in us and through us by taking your word, by living your gospel and by proclaiming your rule. Father, help us to be confident, help us to be bold in this work. And we pray, indeed, may your kingdom come. May your rule be extended here, even in Alveston, as many hear of you and by your grace are brought under Christ. May the king come, Father. 
May he come and end the hurts of this world. May he restore order and establish his reign forever, we pray. In his name, amen.